0: So I think this is the last week of, um, my name's Deb, if any of you don't know me, Um, this is our last week of our series through the summer, and I'm going to be talking on the life and legacy of Solomon. Now we know that Solomon had his ups and downs, um, and and it's so big, it was very difficult for me to just pinpoint a few things to talk about, and I've managed it, I think, so forgive me if I go on a little bit. First of all, I to say that we all know that he was born into a royal family and he was the third king of Israel. And he was one of David's sons. He wasn't the oldest son, but he was the one that was appointed as to, be the, to be the king. Now, he had many siblings due to his um, parents' or his dad's many marriages and numerous wives and concubines and whatever. And I can imagine that family life was probably a little bit tense at times. Probably a little bit dysfunctional, who knows? Um, but he was the one that succeeded David to the throne. Now, as a, as a royal priest, he would have had the best education. He would have been trained in being a king, how to lead his nation. He would also have been trained in how to um, go to war. And he would have had the best education. And we know that what David gives, uh, what Solomon gives us uh, a few psalms, uh, the book of, um, uh, what have we got, what have we got, I've forgotten now, um, what have we got, I've forgotten, but anyway, we'll come, to, I'll come back to that in a minute, um, but the thing is, he was known as the most successful king in all of Israel at the time, and he was very well known across the known world, and we'll find out a little bit more about that. So, his achievements. One of the big achievements he did was he built the temple that his father, David, so longed to do. And it was known in the the world at the time as one of the the wonders of the world. Now, there was no expense spared with it, it was lavish, it was covered with jewels, and we know all this. And you can read all about that, and I'm not going to focus on that. Um, But the thing was, because he built it with excellence, he honored God. In doing that, he was honouring God. And uh, he also honoured his father by, by carrying out the thing that uh, David wanted to do. And it was the realisation and the completion of the temple, that um, the vision of King David that he did. Now, um, I'm not going to put this verse up, but in 1 Kings 5 verse 4, it says that the Lord gave him a season of rest. Now, when you get a season of rest, uh, you could be tempted to just rest. But what does he do? He the building of the temple through. and It took seven years. So in that time, there were seven years of peace, seven years of rest, and he managed that. Um, And God promised him and the people that he would reside in the temple as long as his people served him faithfully. So when God makes promises, they're often conditional. And as long as the people were uh, faithful to him, he would reside in the temple. Now, Although he was trained in war, he wasn't actually a warrior. He was not somebody that uh, really went to war. And he preferred more convivial uh, methods of of keeping the peace and uniting different countries, of which we'll we'll learn about in a minute. Um, Now, he achieved many political alliances. That's one of his achievements. And he ensured that Israel was at peace with all her neighbours, and the countries that were, that were around, and that they remained prosperous. It was a very rich time in the history of Israel. But Solomon was mainly known for the fact that he was a gifted writer and a gifted poet. So he penned some of the Psalms, and he wrote much of the Proverbs, as we know, and most of the ecclesiasticals, Ecclesiastes, which he wrote at the end of his life. It's rather a cynical read, if you read it, There's a lot of regret in it, but he sort of seems to have learned from some of the things in his life. Um, And uh, and then he also wrote most of Song of Songs, which I think he wrote in his dreamy, raunchy, young king days. If you read it, it's a very, very good, interesting read. Um, (laughs) But uh, not for the faint-hearted, but I actually quite like it. Now, one of the things that he's probably best known for is the fact that he was attributed to being the wisest man in the known world at that time. And in 1 Kings 3, verse 10 to 28, we read about the dream where Solomon encountered the Lord. So in the dream, the Lord asks him what he desires most. Remember, this is a dream. It didn't didn't actually happen in in real time, but it was a dream, a vision that he had from the Lord. Now, I would imagine that Solomon was overwhelmed at the beginning of his reign to have to take on, even though he'd been trained, it's quite a lot to take on the, the, the throne, isn't it? And so he asks God for something that uh, probably um, was unexpected. And this is what it says. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? So God grants him wisdom. That's what he asks for. because he, need, he needs this wisdom if he's going to step out in the anointing and the appointing of being the king. And if he's going to govern effectively, he needs to have that uh, wisdom. I think at the time, because Solomon was at the beginning of his reign, he was genuinely sincere in his request uh, for wisdom. And as a result of that request, God gave him that and he blessed him and honoured him and gave him wealth and a long life. Now, of course, we know that Solomon had many weaknesses, and sometimes we get a bit hung up on that. And I, when I got Solomon, I was thinking, oh, really? And, but, but as I read more about him, I thought there's a lot more to him than, than meets the eye. But I want to concentrate a little bit on his naughty moments. <laughs> so, because why not? You know, you've got, to, you've got this one opportunity a year to preach. Let's just talk about it. So, if you don't want me again, then well, tough. So um, basically, I I was thinking, if he was a royal today, he'd been a royal today, with all of his indiscretions and failures, they would have been brandished all over social media, wouldn't they? And he'd have been doing interviews to try and explain why he'd taken the 300th wife um, and, and actually got up to 700 wives and all those sorts of things. It would have been you know, these one disastrous interview after another, I reckon. That's, that's my inversion of it. But we do know that, um, yeah, he did things that were not what God had asked him to do. So, first of all, he commanded his people not to marry foreign wives, foreign pagan wives, that is, and not to marry numerous wives. So, it, those, were, those were commands. But Solomon, in his wisdom decided that he would take on those extra wives, um, mainly to, sometimes it was to protect a country um, and to make an alliance, even though God had said, do not do that, he did it. So he he would have said, well, it's actually to to secure a political alliance. Um, But I'm sure he thought he could handle so many wives. (laughs) (laughs) Not tonight, darling, I really have a headache. <laughs> which number are you? I mean, I don't know. And, but the kings, the kings were specifically warned not to make multiple marriages. And trying to please so many spouses would have brought distractions, I would imagine. And ultimately did turn his heart away from God. And that's, that's actually very sad when he started off so well in life. And the other thing that was a weakness of Solomon's that was that he God commanded the kings not to accumulate lots of wealth. And that came by multiplying horses and chariots, and, uh, gold and silver. And Solomon did just that. Now the danger here is that the more wealth you acquire, the more possessions you have, you're less reliant on the need for God to provide. And, and that became a an issue really. His, he was stepping out in his own strength. So he wasn't relying on, on the resources that God could give him, but in his own power. Another thing that I wanted just to mention with his weaknesses is that he mixed pagan worship with Israelite worship. And that was completely forbidden. So he continued to, to worship in the high places. And this is where all the pagan um, altars would have been. And those are usually associated with, with pagan gods. Now, that would ultimately lead, lead to this sort of downward shift for him, sacrificing to other gods. And um, I would imagine that may well have been influenced by his, his foreign wives as well. So it all starts to go wrong with Solomon when he shifts the balance away from God, when that shift starts to take place, when he's no longer balanced with God being the centre of his life. Now, what is his legacy? Because this is the thing that I really want to focus on. Even though I've talked about his negative things, I think it's being it's being realistic. I don't want to paint him as being this, this amazing, perfect third king. Um, because we're all human, and we all make mistakes. Um, some I think Solomon's are quite big, and ours may not be quite as, uh, as Juicy as his, but even so, we still do mess up. But what does does he leave us? What does he provide for us that that is timeless? And it's that what I want to focus on. So, the first thing that struck me um, was that Solomon sets a great example in prayer. And I love to to pray, and I love to find other uh, examples in the Bible of prayer, and, and I'm always drawn to that. And that's the first thing that struck me about Solomon. When he completed the temple, it was dedicated to the Lord, and the presence of God was so thick that the uh, priests couldn't continue with their duty. They were undone, they were completely melted with the presence of God. It was so thick. Now, can you imagine that? And then Solomon steps up and he prays. So, let's break down the prayer of Solomon. This is just a summary. Firstly, he praises God. It's the first thing he did. And that's what Rosanna did this morning. She praised God. She worshipped. We must praise God, first of all. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you. Or on earth below like you. That's the first thing he does. And then Solomon claims the promises of God. And he says this. You've kept what you promised your servant David You have spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand, as it is this day. And now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to David, my father. So he's claiming those promises that were spoken over his father. And the next thing he does in in his prayer, it's a very long prayer, is he demonstrates humility. He's the king of Israel. And he refers to himself as a servant, which I think is a, a good indication that he, he sees himself as low, as low as low can be when he's in the presence of God. And he says this, he says it quite a few times, yet regard the prayer of your, ser- your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today he's pleading to God, coming to him on his knees and saying, Lord, listen, hear my prayer. I am your servant. And the other area that Solomon concentrates on in his prayer is that he petitions the Lord and intercedes for his country. And we have references in the New Testament for us that that we are to, to, to pray for our nation. We are to pray for the nation's um, and that's what Solomon is doing here. He asks God to forgive Israel's sins against their neighbours, for sins that, that have caused defeat, for dra- that have caused drought and caused famine, and, and asks for mercy for foreigners as well. So he's really got um, a, a compassionate heart, a heart that is full of uh, compassion for his country and for the neighbouring countries, which... For a king, I think it is absolutely amazing. But he also um, asks for victory in battle and future restoration of, and peace as well. So he covers everything, but I, I think he's a, he's a pretty comprehensive prayer. So when he finishes his prayers, he gets up from his knees and um, continues to pray thanksgiving, gratitude, and praying in faith. And that really stirs me. That stirs me to want to, to pray like that. So that's, for me, the first legacy is that he is uh, an intercessor, that he prays. And the second legacy of Solomon, that I want to focus on, is his teaching on wisdom. I can't get away with not talking about about wisdom. I want to talk a little bit about what what I think wisdom, um, what what it's about, really. So wisdom is to be prized. A wise person is respected and sought after. If you know that somebody is wise... You'll go and seek their counsel. you, know, you, you say, oh, well, that's a wise person. I'll go and ask them. But just remember that wisdom doesn't come naturally, and it's not something we're born with. I've just had my fifth grandson, and I've, husband, this beautiful little baby is so beautiful. I'd, I'd like to say beautiful, as beautiful as all of them. I have to say that. It's on there, isn't it? But this, this, this baby is so beautiful, but he's not wise. He's five weeks old. He's got to grow in wisdom. And hopefully, I can impart wisdom in the, in the coming years. But it's not something that we are born with. So we, we get there um, as we, we have to do something about it, don't we? So, gaining wisdom for me is um, like building a strong house. When you build a house, you build the foundations. And it's built brick by brick on solid foundations. Now, once it's built, that strong house then can um, bring shelter from the storm. We sang about that today. It can provide uh, comfort as well. It can provide rest and protection. So uh, wisdom, to me, is like a strong house. So that's another thing. The thing is, we can be searching for wisdom all our lives, can't we? But it's what we do then with it. If you find wisdom, if you find something that is is wise, that speaks into your life, it's then applying it to your life that's important. And if we apply wisdom to our lives, then we will benefit, um, our whole lives will benefit, and we will find fulfillment in every area of our existence. Now, if you read the first 29 chapters, when you go home after lunch, get out your Bible, read the first 29 chapters of Proverbs, and those are the ones that are read by, by Solomon, uh, by, written by Solomon. And those are written over a period of time. And I think he's reflecting, no doubt, on his life experiences and where he's gone wrong, the ups and downs, um, and the experiences that have been both wise and unwise. And they're a collection of sayings. Some of them are like bite sized chunks, you know, when you do revision, for, uh, kids do uh, revision, the little chunks, learning little, little things at a time um, helps you to remember. And what I find about wisdom, uh, about the proverbs particularly, is that when you are in need and you are um, praying about something, a little nugget of thought might come into your brain, into your heart, and then you discover it's actually a proverb. That's what happens with me. I think, oh, I don't remember um, when I learned that one. But I think they get so, the more you read, the more you reflect on proverbs, they get ingrained within you. And then the Lord will provide you with that, that insight as and when you need it. And I think that's really important. And also, what we can do is that we, we, don't, we digest the words in uh, the book of Proverbs with partnership with the Holy Spirit. And let's remember that when we look at the words of Solomon now, that we do it with the, uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit I think we can't do it without the Holy Spirit at all. So let's look at the value of wisdom in Proverbs 2. And when Solomon wrote this, this was probably written to one of his sons, Um, some advice says this. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment, and lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. Amen. I think that's an incredible. There's so much there. And I haven't got time to unpack everything. But our insight and our understanding of this is far greater when we read this in partnership with the Holy Spirit. And our insight grows as we call on the spirit of God to give us more understanding. It's not always easy to understand things, but if we ask God to, to, to help us, if we ask his spirit to empower us, then we can walk in, in that wisdom that we find in the word. Now, looking at that passage, when I see words such as cry out and lift, lift up your voice, I understand that we are to pray. So we have to pray for wisdom. We have to cry out for it. We are we're to ask the Lord to help us in our struggles. We don't go alone. We don't do it alone, do we? You see, when we ask the Lord for wisdom in situations, he will give us the victory in our struggles. He's our shield and he's our protector. So it's important that we do constantly come to him. And as I said before, we have the advantage of, of the Holy Spirit, but also we have the advantage of the New Testament. So if we're reading Proverbs with the, 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 um, the light of the New Testament and the anointing of the Spirit, then it's really motivating and we can, we can probably fast-track our, our decisions in a way that we, we wouldn't any other way. So you see, James 1, verse 5 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You see, making wise decisions glorifies God. How many of you have ever made unwise decisions? I have, constantly. But a wise decision glorifies God. I don't know whether, it doesn't say anywhere, make an unwise decision, it will glorify God, it doesn't. But you see, we often make seeking wisdom and understanding an intellectual exercise. And we can wrestle trying to find the answers. And there's nothing wrong in trying to wrestle with something we don't get, we don't understand, or we don't know why that's happened. It's good to, it's okay to wrestle with God and to keep going to him and say, I don't understand. But it's even better to remind ourselves what Proverbs says in chapter three. And this is what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. It's an amazing, amazing verse to go back to time and time again. When you don't know the answer, when it's tricky, trust in the Lord, and He will give you the right direction. Now, when I was at university, I studied theology, and I have to say that my intellect was stretched. Big time. We wrestled with different, it was quite traditional, um, uh, the theology, but we still wrestled with different worldviews and ideologies and different people with their own um, theologies as well. But I was up against some great minds. And I have to say, a lot of the time, I hadn't a clue what (laughs) we were talking about in the lectures, in the seminars, uh, just Just sat there and pretended I was deep in thought a lot of the time. But there was one thing that I was certain about. I knew my Jesus. I knew my Jesus, even at a young age. And although a lot of what was said seemed to be contradicting or pushing Jesus down um, or pulling everything apart, I knew my Jesus. My anchor was my Jesus. So I learned to trust the Lord with all my heart and to lean not on my own understanding. I think if I'd have lent on my own understanding at university, I would have left there as an atheist or an agnostic, I think. But you see, God's wisdom is often counterintuitive. It's not logical at the time, is it? And that's sometimes where we come a bit unstuck. Heavenly wisdom looks different than earthly wisdom. But what does the word say? It's quite simple. The word says, Ask for wisdom. And what does God do? God gives. So you ask, God gives. Yep. And heavenly wisdom is also linked with hearing God and obeying him. Heavenly wisdom requires us to be submitted to what the word of God says. It all comes back always to the word of God. Wisdom that we need for everything is found in the word of God. So we're going to look at um, what Proverbs 4, verse 4 says. There's a lot of scripture, but I can't get away from scripture because it's the answer to everything. So it says this, Lay hold of my words with all your hearts. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them or turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. So again, have a look when you've got time, um, switch the TV off and have a look at chapter four of Proverbs and meditate on it. Just let the words sink into you and just let it simmer away or whatever it's going to do inside of you, it simmers in me a lot of the time and then it will bubble up to the surface and I go, oh yeah, and that's really, really important. You see, we also have to remember that acknowledging God and that He is all-knowing. In, in, and as we do so, and we trust in Him, that God knows best—not us. Then we, He will lead us, and we don't need to always under, understand everything. Heavenly wisdom is about trust and dependence on God. I can remember um, a member of my family years ago saying that they want to be a Christian because Christian was is for weak people. Well. I disagree with her in that actually it's very strong to be weak. It's very strong to be completely dependent on God. It's very strong to rely on him and to be able to trust when you just don't know quite what's around the corner. So if that's version of weakness, then I will just keep being weak because I'm going to keep doing that. But so often, we're self-sufficient, aren't we? And we are com- we are we, competent and capable of working out a lot of answers ourselves. because. God has given us a brain, and we are—we have got common sense. So, yeah, we are allowed to use that. Um, but a lot of the time, we react first, don't we? Before going to the word, we we don't wait on God. We don't take our time. We react. We kick off, and we panic, and then we go to God and ask for Him to get us out of the mess that we're in. When actually go to him in the first place and just say, God, I don't know why this is happening in my life. I have spent hours and hours and hours. Before I used to do a lot more praying than I do now, I can remember when there were lots of stuff going on in my family. And I used to go Glen, to Glenhall, Glenhall, Glenfall House when it was a retreat centre. And I used to, to book the uh, little pavilion, and I used to just sit there for a day and cry. And I seriously used to wet the carpet um, from my eyes. Um, <laughs> i just cry and cry and cry and I think that was my prayers I didn't know the answers to all my disappointments in my life at that time I couldn't answer them but all I could do was just cry out to God and leave it with him and I came through situations um, but with his strength I don't quite know how it happened but it just did because I th- thought I can't do this. I can't do it so, you see, we all need help with our families, don't we? We need help with our spouses, uh, with our friends and uh, our colleagues, and also for those we're not keen on. Or am I... Is that just me? I don't know. But, you see, we can rely on man's wisdom, and I've got books and books and books in my shelves, of uh, books that are full of man's wisdom, very good books, but actually sometimes we need a little bit more. Now, I brought my own little book of wisdom here, but I'm going to show you. When Angie was preaching the other week, she had piles of of, uh, journals. So I brought my book of wisdom. Now, this one, it's called The Book of Good Thoughts. It's kind of blank, but what happens, I take this in my handbag or in my pocket, and I take it on on train journeys, and I write things in it. So I'm going to give you some wisdom according to Deborah. Okay, so here we are. There are some scriptures in here, because you know I'm very holy. So... Uh, it says here, Life is 10% what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. I don't know where I heard that from. You see, sometimes you hear things on the radio and you just, oh, that's good, I'll write it down. I've got post-it notes everywhere at home on the backs of cupboards with wise thoughts. So that's, that's, that's one. And uh, I'll just read you a couple. Okay. This one, um, I found this quote somewhere. It says, Jesus sees every weed as a potential rose, every delta as a potential believer, and every sinner as a potential saint. Stop listening to the voices that condemn you. Now, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, a lot of truth. Okay, and one more. Okay, this one I think is incredibly helpful. Be nice to nerds. Chances are you'll end up working for them. (laughs) Sorry. But (laughs) let's rely on God's wisdom. So how do we nurture wisdom and live a life of integrity? And how do we avoid some of the pitfalls of Solomon? So I'm gonna tell you a story now. Many years ago, probably about 1984, I took my driving test and I failed it. I know, uh, Salmon Inky, you might be shocked with you know, knowing how well I drive, that I could possibly fail my driving <laughs> test, but I did. So I took it again and I failed again, and I took myself to bed for the evening. Then I will won't tell you what I took with me, but I yeah had it was a glass. Anyway, I I then applied for my third test. So on my third attempt, I tried a different strategy. Now then, oh, that is Walter, the pink, hand painted pink fuchsia mini. When we started, when we first bought this for me, it was white. I told Tim that I wanted a pink car. So he's such a, he honours me, he's such a lovely man. We just celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary, and I think that's probably because he does what I ask him to do. (laughs) (laughs) Wise words, wise, wise teacher. So I wanted a pink car, so off he went to the car shop and bought of pink car uh, paint and it is proper car paint, and we hand painted it. So this was my secret weapon to passing my test on the third attempt. My parents to this day still don't know I took the test three times. They think I'm a whiz and I passed it, but I can't tell them that. <laughs> so I took the test in Walter. Now, I was familiar with Walter because Tim used to do all the lessons with me in there and and not the examiner with the dual controls. So, poor examiner had to drive around the... I was driving around the streets of Oxford in Walter, the pink, Fuchsia pink mini. Now, in those days, there was no online theory test. Basically, you did your test and then they had the highway code and they asked you a few questions from it, yeah? That's it. We're talking history here, folks. (laughs) So, this is very, very true. (laughs) I passed the practical. By this time, I was familiar with my car. I was great with it, and uh, Walter was very good. Now, I assumed, I, I, I thought when I passed the test, I was actually going to fail it. So I didn't bother to learn the highway code. I didn't revise it because you know, I was so traumatized the first two times. So the examiner then started to ask me some questions um, from the highway codes, and I just couldn't answer any of them. I just couldn't remember, forgot, got what to do. I might have managed the no entry sign, but, um, or one <laughs> way, I don't know. So I asked him nicely if he could give me some clues. <laughs> oh, it's was lovely. Oh bless him, he's probably in heaven now I'd say. and so he did but what he did was he didn't actually speak he mimed the answers so he's, so we had this lovely game of charades in the car it was lovely but i passed and i was let loose on the oxfordshire roads oh, no. in walter the pink t-shirt mini and i was a pretty awful driver i have to say I lacked confidence, the reason being is I couldn't actually, I didn't read the manual. <laughs> and uh, I couldn't memorise the rules of the road, because I didn't, I didn't learn it. I still haven't learned it. <laughs> but I, I, I've picked them up over the years. Um, especially when I actually took my kids out in the, my car to give them lessons. So, I had, over the years, I had to keep looking up... Um, the highway code to make sure that I was doing something right, but I was never very confident because I didn't actually understand the rules. I didn't know what I was doing. And why have I told you this story? But it's part of the fact that it is very, very true and you need to know these things about me. Um, (laughs) In my world you do. But so often we come up with our own solutions. This is my solution. And we do things in our own strength, don't we? before we ask the Lord to to help us, or even we don't read his manual, the Bible, half the time. We don't learn his highway code. We just get on with it, and then we wonder why we come unstuck and go, we're stuck up a one-way street the wrong way, that sort of thing. Um, And and those are the sorts of things that we need to to bear in mind. We need to, in order to gain wisdom and to to do things the right way, is we need to um, seek him first, read his word, Seek the Lord first. I'm not sure he's going to be too, too up for miming you know, the answers. To maybe he does. So he speaks in words and pictures, so maybe he does actually mind things to us. Who knows? But what lessons can we learn from, 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 uh, from Solomon? And there's four things that I want to, to bring to mind here. The first thing we, I have learned is to avoid self sufficiency and read the manual, read the word, read the word, digest the word, obey the word, be obedient to the word, and it causes us to discover his will and his blessings for us. Don't always assume you know better. That's what Solomon did wrong, didn't he? He assumed he knew better when he was actually supposed to be the wisest man in the known kingdom, and he went doing all of things in his own strength. To get the word into your heart, into your spirit, into your mind, and pray for the Holy Spirit to guide you. We can't do this on our own. I've been a Christian a long time, but I, every day I think, oh, I need him, I need him more. I can't do what he wants me to do without his strengthening, without his empowering. You see, self-sufficiency, oh, I'm all right, I'd do this, you know, it's okay for a while, but you come unstuck. And it can't sustain you. And that's what happened with Solomon. He couldn't be sustained just doing things in his own strength. Another, another wife, um, and, uh, oh, and I'll just go and do a few sacrifices and I'll get a few more chariots. All those things didn't sustain him. They couldn't sustain him. So the more time you spend in the word ensures that the Holy Spirit will bring those scriptures to mind when you need them most. And that's really important. You see, Jesus said this, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And that's in John chapter 10. Keep listening to that voice within. The more time that you rest in him, that you abide in him, that you lay down in in green pastures and allow him to fill you, the more you will hear his wisdom. And that's important. The second thing I've learned is to avoid compromise. Walking in wisdom is about gaining spiritual maturity, isn't it? We need to be alert. We need to be a bit uh, uh, diligent so that we don't fall away from God's teaching. So simple to do that. It's so subtle. Solomon thought that he could handle it all. After all, he was such a wise king. But sin is subtle and it's seductive. And very easily can you get pulled away with half-truths, with compromise. So as we search for wisdom, we build our character. And wisdom, as we said, is like building a house. It takes time. So don't take shortcuts, okay? Don't go down that short, that what you think is going to be a shortcut. Read the signs and ask God to help you navigate through it all. And ask him to help you for what, to show you what is right and what is true and how to avoid deception and confusion. Proverbs 4 says this, let your eyes look straight ahead. Let all your ways be established. Do not look to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. It's not subtle, is it? It's just get out there, do it, stop it. So that's what we need to do is avoid compromise. And the third thing I've learned is to be accountable. Seek out wise counsel. Listen to others who are trustworthy. Find a mentor. Surround yourselves with godly and good friends who can speak into your life. And don't take the huff if you're challenged. Unaccountability is so dangerous. It doesn't take long to be unaccountable, it doesn't take long for that to sneak in. And then you're left with the consequences. You need people. We all need people, don't we? We need to keep our hearts sensitive to God and don't knowingly go against the will of God. It's really important. Again, you're just left with the consequences. Now, I would rather someone speak into my life and have a little gentle chat with me if I'm out of line. But don't all queue up today. Because I think you just be kind to me. No, I just think it's really important that we take... We we, we allow ourselves to be um, accountable and we allow other people to speak into our lives and to help us because... Proverbs 15, verse 1 says this. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So critical words, just, they fall on deaf ears, don't know, you get defensive. But gentle, loving words of correction or guidance will keep you on the path that God has um, set for you. So if a word is spoken over you in love, take note, don't take offence. Above all, don't isolate yourselves from the body. This is a beautiful church. I have been part of this church for over 30 years. I came here as a young mum, um, and I have never, I have, I've just stayed, it's beautiful. This church is so lovely and so precious to me. We can't relocate, my husband said, because I won't want to leave the church. And I'm saying, well, I never said that, but he knows me well. He knows we can't go and live in another part of this country because I won't want to leave this church. So I want the body of the church. I want to grow old with the people in this church. Um, some of you might say, well, you aren't doing very well then, aren't you? But <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's very important and very precious to me. So I feel that everybody here has a vital part to play in the body of the church, and you are all absolutely vital here. And the fourth thing I've learned is to take action. Knowing what is right doesn't equal doing what is right. We can read the Bible and we can learn it. I'm not really good at learning things off by heart. We, some people are really good, aren't they? Just, but that's, that doesn't help me at all. I need to step up again and I need to move forward. I need to take what the word has said and move with it, action it, do something with it. It's really important. And the thing is, when you step out and you're moving forward, God never leaves you or forsakes you. That's his promise. He always guides you in the right direction if you listen to him. You see, wisdom is often viewed by how we interact and respond to others. And let's think also wisely, how, what timely words can we give to our friends, to our neighbours, to our loved ones, to those in the church? To strangers, random conversations with strangers. What words? How can you take what God is speaking into you? Is it, does He want you to share that with someone else? We can all do something. The opportunities are limitless for us because we are all anointed by God. We're all God's people, and He has a plan and a purpose for each of us. And Proverbs 4, verse 9, says, says this. 16, sorry, 16 verse 9 says this. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. The Lord establishes our steps. And that's really important, that we allow God to show us the direction that he would have us go. So here's the final word from Solomon. And this comes at the end of Ecclesiastes. So you've got... Proverbs, uh, you've got some Psalms, you've got Ecclesiastes, and you've got some Song of Songs. There's a lot of reading. I'm not going to test you next week, but there's a lot. But it's good, it's good to, to, to look at that. But let's look at the, the end of the Ecclesiastes. And this is what Solomon says. Fear God, do what he tells you, and that's it. Simple. That's what he says. I think that might be the message version. Fear God, do what he tells you, and that's it. Eventually, God will bring everything that we do out into the open and judge it according to its hidden intent, whether it's good or evil. So God will always have the last word. So let's just do it right in the first place. Let's seek his face. So just as Solomon was, we're all anointed by God. When we give our lives to him, he has a perfect plan for each one of us. Solomon was a smart guy. If he paid attention to his God-inspired words, would he have avoided all the heartaches and disappointments in his own life? You see, a strong start does not always determine a strong finish. So we want to run the race that's set before us, the race that God has uh, appointed for each one of us. And we want to do that in the anointing and the power and the authority given to us by Jesus Christ. It all comes back to Jesus. Everything comes back to him. That we stand in his strength, in his anointing. So now we're going to stand and we're going to pray. So if you'll join me as we pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we all need more of your godly wisdom, and we ask right now that you fill us with your grace, your anointing, Lord. Help each one of us to look to you for our strength, because you have called each one of us to run the race that's set before us. And we declare that our strength is in you, Lord, and we will finish strong.